We are going to be working our way tonight through Joshua chapter 3, so if you want to pull that up either on your device or uh, the Bible in the pew in front of you. As you're turning there, just a couple of thoughts about this particular chapter in this book. This is a story in particular tonight, chapter 3, about God. I, I know that all of the Bible is ultimately about God. But tonight's story is about God in his miraculous intervention on behalf of his people. And as magnificent as that is, and it is magnificent, it seems that the author of Joshua wants us in this chapter to be certain that we focus on this idea that as God's people, we must prepare ourselves for whatever he's going to do in our life and in the world around us. One, so that we will know it. Two, that we'll be able to enter into it in a deeper, richer, fuller way. And maybe thirdly and most important, that we, if we miss it, then we're going to miss a great blessing that God has for us as his people. So the preparation in chapter 3 tonight takes up an enormous amount of the words in this chapter much more than the actual miracle itself. And so that should be a flag for us to say, God, what are you saying here? Why are you emphasizing this piece? And I think it's because he knows that it's difficult at times for us to prepare ourselves for what God's about to do. It's difficult to prepare ourselves on Saturday night before we come to worship on Sunday morning. It's difficult for us to prepare ourselves on Sunday afternoon before we come to worship on Sunday evening, let alone how difficult it is for us to prepare the rest of the week. And so he's just highlighting that for us and saying, hey, I'm ready to work miracles, big miracles, small miracles in your life. Are you prepared to receive them, to hear them, to process them, to reflect on them? Because that's what God desires and wants for us to do. The Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And they're almost there. There are high emotions, there's excitement, there's anticipation, there's apprehension. After all this time, they seem to be close and the suspense has to be building for them. And I think the author knows that, experiences that, and expresses that in this chapter. Well, how do we get to this place navigationally? I thought about it perhaps this way. If Augusta is Jericho, if you head east here, you get to the Savannah River. We'll say tonight the Savannah River is the uh, Jordan River. And then just on the other side of the Jordan River, there lies Shidem, which probably is around the area where Beach, Beach Island is, maybe Aiken. 
So that's sort of the proximity of how close the Israelites actually are, both to the river, but also to Jericho and into the promised land. So let's read the text now. Let me ask you to consider as you're listening to it, this idea of God desiring for his people to prepare themselves. And then obviously the miracle itself at the end of the chapter. Let's open our hearts and minds to the reading of God's word, Joshua chapter three. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. They set out from Shittim. They came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Jerithon. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground 
until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Let's pray. Father, would you, if it pleases you tonight, speak uh, through these lips. Would you also, through your word, set our hearts on fire with love for you and for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting that in the sweep of biblical history, this story actually gets very little playtime. There's no movie about the crossing of the River Jordan. There's no movie or documentary on the leadership of Joshua. And yet in the, in the sweep and the scope of redemptive history, this story is immensely important in the lives of all of God's people. Because it's one story in this long process that God made to Abraham in Genesis, that I will set you apart, I will make you a people unto myself, and I will give you a land. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, we've been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And it appears as though it's about to happen. So there's why you can see that there's such excitement, such amazement where these Israelites are. And yet, even at this point, they don't know how it's going to happen. They haven't been told. They're almost within eyesight of the Jordan River, but they don't yet know how God is going to accomplish this, how they're going to move into the land how they're going to occupy it. But there is a sense of excitement amongst the Israelites in the camp. So what I want to do tonight is look at those two big pictures. One is the process of preparation. So they have to prepare before they cross the river. And then there's the actual miracle of God himself parting the waters of the Jordan River. So I want you to note in these initial verses in Joshua 3, the emphasis that's placed on the preparation of the actual crossing. What you have in, in Joshua 3 and 4 is that in 3, on the beginning part of that, you have 75% of that chapter just dealing with God's preparation of his people for the crossing of the, of the uh, river. And then you have the whole chapter 4, which will follow this, and Pastor Lee will preach on that next week, is about how to remember what God did at the River Jordan. So he'll talk about the memorial stones that are set up, the Ebenezer stones, and why it was so important to remember what God had done in their lives and was going to do. To remember that even to this day. So generally you could say the principle here is that success is often secured in proper preparation. But more specific 
in our application tonight is that God has a plan and that plan requires preparation by you and by me just as it did by those Israelites. And can I just say that the most important preparation that you and I can do ever is our hearts, to prepare our hearts for what God wants to do. So the preparation flows in two stages in verses 1 to 13. The first stage is in verses 1 to 6, and the focus in this first part of this stage is on the ark itself, the ark of the covenant. The ark contained, if you uh, have, don't recall, it, re- it contains the Ten Commandments. It also contains Aaron, the high priest's rod, and it contains some manna. Now, all of those things are important, and they were important to the Israelites. But the most important thing about the ark was that it represented, it was a symbol of God's presence, that God was with them. So everywhere they went, they wanted the ark to be with them. And so it's important to realize that. So the officers, they move through the camp in these initial verses and they command the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, you see the connection there. It's not just the ark. It's the ark of the covenant. It's not just the ark of the covenant, but it's the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God. It makes the ark very personal. Then you shall set out from your place and follow it. There shall be a distance between, between you and it of about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Now, the writer in Joshua uses this verb to know in a, a word play, and he uses it several times in chapter 3. So when he says the Israelites would know the right way to go, well, what does he mean by that? Well, he means a couple of things, and that's the word play. First of all, he means that if you get all of the Israelites, and there were a lot of Israelites, so this is not just a small group. This is the whole nation of Israel and all of their possessions. So if they're all crowded right down on the banks of the Jordan River, well, they're not going, most people are not going to be able to see what's happening. They're not going to be able to see what's going on. And God wanted his people to do that. They're told not to follow too close. Well, why? I think there's a physical reason, but there's also this spiritual reason. You know, back in the day when we used to be able to attend large events together, we used to go to sporting events and things like that. And, and oftentimes the crowds would be so, uh, so tightly fit together that it was hard to see. I was just thinking uh, recently about, well, the 18th green at Augusta National, for example. If there are 10, 15, 25 people deep around that green, well, it's very difficult if you're far back in there to be able to see what's happening actually on the green. That's why they would have those little periscope things that you could hold up and watch to see what was actually happening. Well, that's exactly what the writer is saying here. I want you to stay back so you can see what God is doing. Because when you see what God is doing, it encourages you, it strengthens you. 
But not only that, there's a spiritual element to this as well. The spiritual element is this. Not only does God want you to be able to see what he's doing, but he wants you to walk in his ways. And this, this knowing what God is doing is just a metaphor for walking in his ways. See what he's doing and then walk that way. And that's exactly what they're going to do physically, right? They're going to walk and follow the ark through the river. And so God is giving him these instructions to give. So not only that, not only the Ark of the Covenant, but there's the people's prep, uh, preparation as well. In verse 5, Joshua speaks and he says this. He says, consecrate yourselves. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to consecrate yourselves? Well, I think in our language today, it means get your hearts and your minds in the game. Be all there. I'm about to do something amazing in your sight, and I, I want all of your attention. I don't want you thinking about uh, this situation I have over here or that relationship. I want you right here focused on what I'm doing because it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be amazing, and you're going to be encouraged by that when you experience it. Also, to separate yourselves physically, mentally, spiritually from anything that would contaminate your relationship with God. And so when they would consecrate themselves, they might wash their clothes. They might abstain from sexual relations. But they would clean up their household and get ready because uh, God was a God you didn't trifle with. And if you were going to be in his presence and he was going to lead you, then you needed to consecrate yourselves. Joshua also tells the priests to initiate the movement of the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, pick it up and start moving toward the river. Now in stage 2, in verses 7 to 13, we have God speaking to Joshua in verse 7. Now if you go all the way back in Numbers 27, God first gives the mantle of leadership to Joshua. So I want to read that. I think it's very important to see that and then to see how God is following up on that here in Joshua. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority, that all the congregation of the people Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. So Moses says to the Lord, I know I don't get to go into the promised land, but they need a people that will lead them. And God says, Joshua is going to be that man, and I want you to consecrate him. I want you to commission him. I want you to set him apart. 
for this work that I'm going to call him to do. So even after this time, though, the people need to rebuild and build their confidence in Joshua, not just to cross the river, but there's some really bad people on the other side of the river. And they need, ha- need to have confidence in Joshua that he can lead them not just through the river, but on the other side as well as they take on these powers and fight for this land that God has given them. So this was God's plan and God's work. And Joshua, like Moses, would be his mouthpiece to carry out this plan. So why did God exalt Joshua? Well, in verse 7 it says, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel, that they, the people of Israel, might know that. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. That's, there's that word know again. It's important for God to set up his leader in such a way that he can be successful. And part of that is preparation. Ralph Davis has a great commentary on Joshua. He says this, he says, there is a certain logic behind this assurance. If Yahweh can tame a raging river, he can also repel attacking Amorites. If he can stop up the Jordan, he can put down the Gergesite. If he can get you into the land, he can surely give you the land. Paul uses the same theologic in Romans 8.32. If God did not hold back, but gave up his own son for us, if he went that far, can we not then rest assured that he will grant all other provisions required for our full salvation? That's part of the reason for the miracle. Not just to get them to the other side, but to encourage them that I'm going to meet you in every one of your struggles, in every one of your problems. I will be there. And I will walk you through it. Well, in stage two, it continues, and Joshua then speaks to the people. And in the second part of stage two, he says this. In verse nine, the story is building toward this climax of crossing the river. God's people are still yet in the dark about how this is going to happen. How will they get to the other side? Even if they make it across the river, what about the enemies on the other side? You know, here's a reminder. God is not like the other gods. And he wants his people to know that. Our God this evening is not like all the other gods out there that someone could serve. He is a living God. He is here by his spirit acting in this world, acting in each one of our lives. He is a powerful and living God who is among you. That was important for those Israelites to know. Is that important for you to know? That he is a living and powerful God and he's fighting for you. Tonight, God bless you. In verse 11, he says, listen, this is how it will all go down. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth 
Do you notice how as he's moving through the chapter, first of all, it's the Ark of the First it's the Ark, then it's the Ark of the Covenant, then it's the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord our God, and then it's the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord our God over all the earth. Do you hear it? The writer is saying to the people in Israel, do you hear it? Do you understand who this is? And then there is in these last several verses of the chapter, the actual crossing of the river. So in some ways, the first 13 verses have been rather fast-paced. People are getting ready. Things are happening. It's, it's exciting to see. There's all kinds of instructions. There's all kinds of preparation that are, that's being made. And then when we get to verse 14, the whole narrative just sort of slows down. And it happens that way so that you and I will slow down and just listen to what God is doing. The priests step into the water bearing the Ark of the Covenant. The suspense is building and, and, and what the author slips in here is this parenthetical comment in verse 15. He says, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. It's like, why, why, why did you wait here to put that in there? You could have told that to us earlier. And why are you putting it in there? What does it mean? Well, it's a pretty significant detail because it tells you a lot about who God is. So they're crossing the Jordan in the springtime. Well, why, why not the summer? Why not the fall? Why not the winter? Why the spring? Well, I'll tell you why the spring, because it's the absolute worst time to cross the Jordan River around the area of Jericho. Because the Jordan River floods in the springtime. So, for example... It's wider than its normal 90 to 100 feet. Maybe it's several hundred yards during the flooding season. It's deeper than its average 3 to 10 feet. It might be closer to 20 or 30 feet during the flood stage. Not only that, there's a thicket around that area that would make it very difficult to... to um, to walk through that to even get to the water. I was thinking myself, uh, you know, if you go out on the canal, there's several places along the canal when you look off to the right toward the river, there's this deep thicket that's in there, briars and bushes and water. And if you think about trying to cross that, you know, it's not, it's not very pleasing to think about. Well, that's some of what the Israelites had to go through. And also in that thicket were also animals oftentimes, big animals, the kind of animals that would hurt you. And so God chooses a time when you would least expect God to choose it in order to show his greatness, his power to his people. God intends to build faith and confidence in difficult situations. Don't you know that that's why he allows you sometimes to go through those difficult times? To build your faith, to build your confidence? 
all the while trusting that you are preparing yourself for those times when they come because they certainly will. Well, what do we make of this great story? What can it teach us and how can it encourage us? Well, first of all, maybe it's obvious, but let me say it. Be prepared. Be prepared. As Joshua says, consecrate yourself. Most successes in life are born through preparation. Not all of them, but most successes are born in life through preparation. Great military battles, great inventions, great business plans often find success because they were prepared well. And when the opportunity came, they were ready to seize that moment. You know, I'm thinking of the NCAA tournament that's going on right now, or golfers arriving soon here in Augusta. Well, they will likely be successful if they are prepared well. That doesn't mean they'll all win because they won't. There's only one team that's going to win. There's only one golfer that will ultimately win. But that's not the definition of success. Many of them will have success, and the reason they'll have success is because they've worked hard, they prepared for that moment. The same is true for us in our spiritual journey. God is saying, I want you to be prepared so that when the difficult times come, when the miracles come, You'll know. You'll know I'm there. You'll know what I'm doing. You'll be encouraged by it. You'll be able to move into that. Remember this theme about Joshua? Be courageous. How are you going to be courageous? Because you believe that God is with you and that he's going to protect you. The same is true here for us in our Christian life. Whether it's a big miracle or a hundred small miracles, the point is, be ready. Commit to the means of grace, to practical works of mercy, and prepare, prepare, prepare. Second, these big mega miracles that God does, like the Red Sea and the parting of the Jordan River, are to encourage us to believe that God is actually out there in front of us. He's not behind us saying, I'll catch up with you later. Hope it goes well. He's in front of us. He goes before us that we can be biblically courageous and fearless knowing that God is leading the way. That is a great theme of the book of Joshua. Again, Professor Davis says this, the rescue at the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan, the death and resurrection of Christ are explosions of God's power that are meant to color the whole horizon of the believer's life in order to assure us that the God who so mightily handles great emergencies is surely adequate for the smaller crises and anxieties that beset us. Amen to that. If he can do that, if he can part the Red Sea, if he can part the Jordan River, if he can raise his son from the dead, 
He can handle our crisis. He can handle our anxieties. It's almost always true that God will navigate us through difficult situations and circumstances, but the chief miracle is to bear witness for us, to bear witness to God's power, to his greatness, and to his faithfulness. How do you make certain that you can bear witness? You prepare. You prepare yourself. He will cut paths through your impossible rivers. And wouldn't it be a shame if you were unable to see him at work because you were not prepared? Perhaps for you it's unemployment. Perhaps it's a health concern. You could be struggling with broken relationships. Wouldn't it be a wouldn't it be a miss if you weren't prepared, even in those circumstances, to see your God at work and on the other side be encouraged by that and ready to press forward in life? To what end? So that you will trust him, that you will place hope in his plan and his purposes and that you will worship him. As one commentator has said, it is as if Hebrew in verse 14 says, and it happened, and it happened when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before them, and when those carrying the Ark came as far as the Jordan, and when the feet of the priests carrying the Ark was dipped into the edge of the waters, now the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest, that the waters coming down from above stood. They rose up in one heap a very far distance away at Adam, the city that is opposite Zarethan. And the waters coming down upon the sea of Arab by the salt sea were completely cut off. And the people crossed opposite Jericho. While it is true that they crossed the Jordan River at flood stage, it's also true that that's not the main detail. It's the miracle that made it possible and who performed the miracle that the writer wants us to concentrate on. The people were able to cross and to continue their mission to inherit the land, but it wasn't about the land, was it? At the end of the day, it really wasn't about the land. God had promised the land. He was going to make good his promise, but it wasn't about the land. It was that they would love and serve their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. That they could walk away from the pleasures and the temptations of this life rather than committing their hearts and lives. Will you see these miracles and be reminded of God in your life and recommit your energy, your passions, and your directions to follow his plan into a land that he has given you? I was reflecting on my own life and recalling that in 1988, we were about to go to seminary. We needed to sell our house. We'd been trying for a number of months. We were nervous about that until we sold it a month before we were to leave. How we were going to move all of our stuff to Pittsburgh. 
Well, it so happened that the missionary organization Julie worked for in North Carolina decided to move. Can you imagine where they moved to? Pittsburgh. So we actually moved our furniture on the same moving van as the mission organization. Well, that's not all. We couldn't find a house to rent in Pittsburgh, so we decided to haul all our stuff up there and put it in a storage unit. So we headed out to Pittsburgh with no place to put our furniture, and we were going to stay with some friends we had met. Well, the moving van broke down on the way up to Pittsburgh. Well, while the moving van was trying to get to Pittsburgh, I checked in the papers and saw a house that was owned by a great Greek Orthodox Christian family. And so we called, and by the time the moving van got to Pittsburgh, we had a home, and they brought our furniture right there. Is that all coincidence? I don't think so. I don't think so. God is at work. He has a plan. Yes, and we are to prepare as he is working out that plan. One last quote as we close from Dr. Davis. The object of this text then is to impress us with the adequacy of God. To grill into us that God is not merely a three-letter word of our Christian jargon, not merely the honorary leader of our club, but is the living God who works and intervenes and comes and saves and rescues and counsels his people in all their perplexities. He is indeed the Lord of all the earth, not a mere little league deity. So we must renounce our tendency to punify God, to carve him down to our stature and limit him to our possibilities. May it never be. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a great God. Would you give us the wisdom to prepare ourselves, first and foremost, our hearts, for all that you want to do in our life so that we won't miss it, that we'll understand, we'll see you at work, we'll praise you, we'll worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength as you lead us in this journey into our own land, finally into that last promised land that you have given to all those who call upon your son's name. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.